But I can assure you, if this pension isn't fixed, this pension issue, the general public will fill this pension problem very directly in the coming two, three, four, five years. From the Kentucky New Era, this is Podkinsville. In this week's episode, we sit down with Mayor Carter Hendricks to discuss the pension and how it will affect the city, its employees, and residents. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podkinsville. I am Zirconia Aline, the editor of the Kentucky New Era, and today I am here with our mayor of Hopkinsville, Carter Hendricks. Would you like to say anything to our guests really quick? No, just thank you for having me this this morning, Zirconia. Thank you for having us. So we are just going to talk a little bit more about the budget this upcoming fiscal year and kind of how, how the community will... I guess feel that pressure from the pension um, payment increases. Remind us again about this upcoming um, budget year and kind of why you sounded the alarm a little bit about um, the the amount of money you have to work with. Absolutely. Well, you know, we really started talking about the looming pension issue probably two or three years ago. As it, at least I did. There had been others talking about it for some time prior to that. But we started realizing the challenge even two or three years ago. But the challenge didn't become specific until the state had either decided or not decided to do something about the pension issue. As it was, the state came up with what they thought was a fix for it. Uh, The court system ended up rejecting the process they used. And so we didn't really realize until this past fall what specifically we would have to deal with in the coming fiscal year, which was a half a million dollars of additional pension expenses that we can't escape, money that we have to come up with. And over the next five years, cumulatively over $3.3 million of new expenses to our budget related to the pension alone. And so that's been a challenge, and it's one of the reasons we started sounding the alarm even as early as a year and a half, two years ago. But certainly during this budget process, we want people to understand that this bill is going to come due every year, Mm -hmm. and it's money that we can't spend in other areas of the city's budget as a result of this particular challenge. And that's just one of the challenges. There's there's other pressures that get put on the budget each and every year um, that, that you really can't avoid either. So if the cost of fuel goes up, we have a lot of police cars, a lot of fire trucks, a lot of ambulances that hit the road then we're going to see our expenses go up in that area as well. So we've seen some of these financial pressures building. We've tried to position ourselves accordingly for them, Um, but certainly this pension issue has really drawn our attention. And when we think about the future and the things we can't do, um, it's the simplest way I can say it is if I have to spend $500,000 on the pension, that's $500,000 less for public safety, for parks and recreation, for beautification, for for whatever it may be, homelessness Mm -hmm. initiatives, whatever the initiative might be that's half a million less that we'll have. Um, I know a few ways that you suggested um, to cut back or to reallot money was to do a 5% cut to some of the city's agencies. What are those agencies and kind of how will they fill that cut? Absolutely, and you know, when you're looking at trying to find cuts or efficiencies, sometimes we'll call them if we're trying to soften the blow a little bit, but when you're trying to find cuts because you have to make up for these expenses, such as the pension. And by the way, it's not just the pension. I want to make sure to be clear about that. So um, we're not doing a cost of living increase this year for employees because we didn't think we could afford it. And I hate to not be able to offer that. But the employees that qualify for step increases, which is the way our system is built, they'll get their raises. Um, So if they've been here five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that type of thing. So we'll have those expenses. We have increasing costs for street lights, for street paving, 
um, for fuel for the vehicles. So when it was all said and done and we started the planning for this current budget that hopefully will get approved next week, we had about $1.5 million worth of expenses that we knew we'd have a hard time making them any smaller than what they were. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're expenses we couldn't really avoid, with over a third of that being the pension, but, but more than two-thirds of that being um, not pension-related. So as we were looking at those options, we started, well, where can we find savings? And so we did recommend a 5% decrease to our agencies. Um, we have two different agencies, two different categories of agencies. We have the mandated agencies and the non-mandated agencies. And so there's a list that are considered mandated. That's either through a local ordinance or state statute that we have to fund some element of these agencies. Um, and then the non-mandated are, are agencies that we have chosen over years to, to fund for one reason or another. So Aaron McNeil Center is an example of a non-mandated agency. The public library is an example of the mandated agency. Okay. okay. So you know that 5% to these agencies is a real cut. It's not going to be easy for them to absorb. Um, I've met with many of the agency directors um, specifically about the 5% cut. And, and I know they're going to do their best to make that work inside of this year's budget. It probably means they have to try to fundraise a little bit more privately. Um, I would suspect they've reached out to other government partners that they might have and asked them if they could increase a little bit to offset the decrease. Um, but I've been very impressed, to be quite honest with you, on the reactions from the directors and the board members that I've spoken with. Um, they understand. They know that we don't want to make that cut. They know that we want to restore it when we can and we have the money to do it. And I think, frankly, they're just kind of taking the um, medicine as well as they can and going to do the best with it. And hopefully 5% won't be too drastic to any one agency. But we do have a couple that we fund pretty significantly where a 5% cut, you know, that you're talking about $20,000, dollars $30,000, $35,000 for an agency. And so that's pretty significant. Yeah. They'll feel that, no doubt. Um, you talked about the COLA increases won't happen this year. Do you worry about retaining quality employees, or has the morale kind of been like we're just going to push through? And no, I absolutely worry about that. We that we are constantly looking at team morale, how we can make sure that the decisions we're making are communicated effectively, so that even when it's an unpopular decision, you minimize the negative impact on community morale. But but let me be clear. Um, I'm one of those 260 employees for the city of Hopkinsville, and I certainly understand the value of getting a raise just like anybody else. So I have to make my family budget work like everybody else does, and I just got an insurance renewal notice that's going up a little bit. So if I don't have a cost of li living increase, I'm already behind. So I empathize, and I re relate specifically to our, our team, to anyone that's working in the community that may not get a cost of living next year. I, I can relate to it. I really can. I think the morale is still strong. It's still positive. I think our employees understand and appreciate that we are trying to make the best decisions and that we are, while we're not giving a COLA this year, a cost of living increase, we're doing some other things, hopefully, to protect them. So we're making sure we put money into our health trust for health insurance so we don't have to charge them more for mm -hmm. the health insurance. And that was the decision we made this year. We knew we couldn't do both. We couldn't both do a COLA and put money in the health trust. So we chose to do the health trust. Um, making sure that their health insurance stayed a strong program and that it didn't cost them more for the health insurance. And we, for, and we uh, forego, of course, on the, on the cost of living increase. But we hope that morale stays strong to that point, to that question. We're certainly going to do everything we can to help our employees see that we care about them and that even when we can't give a cost of living increase, there are other things we are trying to do 
to make sure that we take care of our team. And, and we've reminded them that the previous three years they received on average a 3.5% um, increase to their base salary or their base hourly wage, and that was because we were doing, we were trying to pay them better. And so even though we can't do a COLA this year, over the last three years they've seen a net increase of about 10.5% per employee. So we hope that that at least has helped them be prepared and positioned to do better this year when we can't give them a cost of living increase. Um, I know there was a little bit of, I don't want to call it pushback, but a little questioning about cutting the um, inner city res um, monies a little bit. But can you explain that a little? Sure. Well, um, we mentioned the 5% of the agencies. There was a 4% cut to departments across the board um, that we also implemented. And, and so then we also looked at other areas of our budget. And one of the largest line items in our budget that's not specifically attached to a department or an agency is the inner city residential enterprise zone. And every year since 2006, I always have to set here, was it 2006 or 2007? But 2006, the city has allocated $500,000 to the inner city res program, which has gone out and helped support neighborhood empowerment grants, neighborhood associations, some infrastructure projects, beautification projects, some small business redevelopment opportunities downtown. But it's been money that's gone out with its sole purpose to help improve and revitalize the downtown and inner city core of Hopkinsville. And I know you're familiar with it, mm -hmm. but I, for the listeners, yeah. I, I want to make sure they understand what this program is. Um, it's a valued program. I don't think there's anyone that's worked it or that's worked with the city um, as a mayor or city council member that doesn't see value in that initiative. When we were looking at this year's budget, you know, we looked at all of the different options that we had, and this was a line item that we had to look at and say, okay, we're putting a lot of money into it. How's that money being spent? Mm -hmm. um, is there any money remaining from previous years that would be able to be utilized by the inner city res? And it became pretty clear pretty quick um, that there was about $800,000 setting in the bank from previous year allocations that hadn't been spent. And so we knew that if we had to make a decrease to the inner city res line item, there would still be cash mm -hmm. over here to support that program should it need it. But then we also looked at its spending pattern. And for about 10 years now, the inner city res has spent about $400,000 each year of its $500,000 allocation. The difference of that $100,000 has helped to create that $800,000 balance. Mm -hmm. And so knowing those two realities, we made the decision to decrease the inner city res budget from 500000 to 400000 not as a statement of the value of the program, of an indication of the priority of the work, but more as a statement of math. Mm -hmm. um, we needed to find additional savings inside of our budget. That particular line item seemed to be right-sized at $400,000, and if it needs more, we know that it has access to almost $750,000, dollars in the bank right now. So that was the decision that we made, and there was good discussion at the last city council meeting, and, and honestly, I walked out of the council meeting inspired by that discussion that there were people that care enough about their neighborhoods and the neighborhood associations to show up and advocate. Yeah. I'm getting cold chills thinking about it right now. I mean, they were not happy with me and their advocacy necessarily, but I thought they were understanding. Mm -hmm. and, and I think more importantly, that's what we need in every neighborhood. We need citizens that are willing to show up and advocate. And sometimes we can agree with them and we'll do what they want us to do and sometimes we can't. But either way, it's good for the community. Mm -hmm. It was within two days, within a week of each other, I'd had the city council meeting where we had several um, members of inner city neighborhood associations come and express themselves, or, or if not express themselves, be there in support. And like a week before that, I'd been over with the Winsong Neighborhood Association where they were addressing concerns and 
honestly, those things leave me excited about our, our community because when neighbors care about their community enough to show up and advocate, the rest of this stuff starts to fall into place. So they were there, um, expressed themselves, but I think at the end of the day, they understood that we're making tough decisions here. And mm -hmm. there's just a series of not good choices in this year's budget. We don't want to have to make any of them. We're making the ones that we are making to the best of our ability. We're trying to explain them as best as we can. And, and hopefully, as we move forward, people won't really feel too much of a negative impact in this coming fiscal year because we've made good decisions. Now, I'll say this, though. If something major doesn't change between now and the next fiscal year we're planning, with the pension issue only getting worse and all of these other pressures only getting real, and we can't not give cost of living increases indefinitely, sometimes we're going to have to give a, a raise mm -hmm. to our employees, the pain will start to be felt more and more by the general public. We don't want them to feel that pain, mm -hmm. but they do need to understand that pain will be felt. If I have to put, I, if we have to keep putting more and more money towards a pension, and therefore we can do less street paving, then that means there's going to be more pothole complaints. Mm -hmm. And I can assure you I hate pothole complaints. I hate potholes, but I hate the complaints yeah. too. And we try to take care of them. And that's just one example because people are quick to point out potholes. You won't have, you'll, you'll not have fewer potholes over the coming five, six, you're going to have more. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have more police officers over the coming five or six years. You're going to have fewer if the pension issue continues unsolved the way that we're dealing with it. Um, five years from now, the pension bill that year alone will be an additional $900,000. We got to come up with it somehow. And if we don't come up with it because of tax increases, which no one anywhere wants us to talk about tax increases, if, they, if that's not our answer, then the only other answer is cuts to the budget. Mm -hmm. And so the public has to, it's one or the other, yeah. or it's a series of both. <laughs> so we'll just be figuring this out with this pension committee over the coming months. But that's the point I want to make sure to stress here is you may not feel it in the next four or five months, but I can assure you if this pension isn't fixed, this pension issue, the general public will fill this pension problem very directly in the coming two, three, four, five years. And I don't want us to wait to get there to feel it before we do something about it. And that's why we've got this committee that will be meeting. Let's get out in front of it. Let's be proactive. And, and I'm proud to report that I think we're one of the only cities that is this far out in front of it. There are others doing similar things. Mayor Fisher has been sounding the alarm for several months now um, and getting politically beat up for it in Louisville. We didn't create the issue. I hope people understand that. Mayors of cities did not create this issue. We have sent our money in, every bill that's ever been sent to us. Um, but we're going to deal with it because we don't have any choice. It's mm -hmm. just it's pragmatism. It's practical. There's no time for partisan politics. We're going to deal with this issue because it's the only choice that we have. Um, I know you suggested that the city take the 4% property tax increase. Um, kind of how will that help out? Sure. Let me clarify, and I've been trying to clarify since this initially got reported. Property taxes are a little weird in the way we have to budget for them. So right now what we're budgeting is to assume the maximum 4% growth in the budget. Okay. okay. So we're not budgeting a tax increase per se. I understand why it gets reported that way, but that's not exactly what's happening. So in assuming 4% growth, which is the maximum allowable by state on the property tax, we're assuming growth of about $110,000 in property tax revenue. Okay. In August, we'll get a report from the state, and it'll basically have the compensating rate. And the compensating rate is the rate you would apply to get the same amount of money as last year's amount. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so 
that compensating rate can generate more or less and then you have to make decisions based on that particular rate. So once we see what the compensating rate in August is and then we see what we budgeted, we then know do we have to increase the rate to hit the budget or do we have to decrease the rate and we can still stay at budget. We then have to take whatever that recommendation is to the city council and they will then have to vote and approve whatever the property tax rate is. Mm -hmm. So the rate wouldn't be increased or decreased until August or September. It could be decreased. It could stay the same. It could be increased. If they, we present to the council and we present to them that if you keep the rate the same, it's going to mean that we bring in 50000 less in property mm -hmm. tax revenue than budgeted, they can still make that choice. And they may. That, that actually happened three years ago where we made a choice on the property tax rate that meant it was going to come in below budget, but we made that choice because we didn't want to put a tax increase to the public. Mm -hmm. So it very well may end up being that we don't take the rate necessary to meet the budget. If we do take the rate necessary to meet the budget, it'll mean $110,000 of additional revenue, which will help us offset some mm -hmm. of these expenses. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the actual property tax rate will go up. Gotcha. We won't know that until August or September. Okay. I know that's confusing, and I think that's why it's hard to, to report it out there because it's just so convoluted and it's a mess. But, but again, the rate itself will be discussed in August and September, and that's when we'll know whether we voted to keep it the same, lower it, or raise it. Um, and I know that our city council will look very earnestly before they will increase any tax rate. They're going to look at every option they have because they take serious. They don't want to raise taxes if they don't have to. We don't want them to have to. Um, you talked a little bit about the pension committee that's being mm -hmm. formed, and I feel like that kind of brings in the community, different people, mm -hmm. to kind of wrap their minds around it and um, come up with a plan. Um, how often will they meet, and kind of how long will this committee be? It's a great question. Um, they just got approved last Tuesday night, and so uh, I think we'll start doing our correspondence with them to get the first meeting scheduled at least. Once we get that meeting scheduled, they'll create, I'm, I'm imagining, they'll create a standards meeting expectation, whether it's going to be the first Monday, the third Tuesday, mm -hmm. whatever that may be. They'll set their schedule up. We did not put an end to this particular committee because we want to make sure they go through the process properly. Mm -hmm. um, what we're saying is once they report back to us, they're done. So it's not a standing committee that will go on forever. But if that takes them three months, it'll be three months. If it takes them five months, it'll be five months. We would hope that within six months we would have a report back because, frankly, we need to know what types of decisions we want to make as we start preparing for next year's budget. Mm -hmm. And we'll start preparing really in the January time frame in earnest for next year's budget. Um, so that's kind of the timeline. You, you ask how many times will they meet, as many as they need to. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it won't become too consuming for the committee. I didn't, I didn't encourage the, the volunteers saying it was going to be 600 meetings or anything. So hopefully it won't be too time consuming. But we're not going to restrict that. Again, to us, this is about process. Let's make sure we've uncovered every rock to look at where we can find efficiencies and savings. Let's look at every revenue opportunity we have, which mm -hmm. some of them aren't taxes. Let's look at our tax rates and make sure we're competitive against our competition. Um, and at the end of the day, we're going to have to be honest about these are the expenses that are coming that we can't avoid. These are some changes we have to make. And here's revenue we have to have to be able to operate the city of Hopkinsville's budget. And, uh, but that's going to be a tough process. It's going to take a lot of time. Um, so again, I, I would hope that within six months they'd have a report back to us, but we did not put a timeline on it because we want them to have a good process and not to feel forced to report before they're ready to report. What should the community know and how should they, um, 
I guess, how should they look at this issue going forward? Sure. Well, hopefully the, the community knows and understands that certainly the leadership in Hopkinsville is doing everything we can to mag- manage the budget that we have, the, the, the resources that the community turns over to us through taxes, um, the initiatives that we're implementing to try to do those well. So I hope there's a high degree of confidence and trust that we're, we're doing the best we can with the resources that we have and that we're transparent with the information because we certainly will share anything that people ask for and everything that we're supposed to. Um, as we're moving forward, what can they do? You know, one is communicate with us. There's competing priorities right now. We have a lot of people who want to see us doing more in the community. And then we have some people who want to see us doing less in the community. And so which, which is it? Do we want to be a community that is investing and reinvesting and always looking for new opportunities to grow and expand and change and be better? Or do we want to be a community that kind of brings it all in and says, no, we want to kind of stay who we are. and We don't want too much new. We don't want to spend money on this. Those are competing priorities. So we need to hear from the public. I've heard mostly from people that are excited and they want us to do more and they see they see the festivals and they see the facilities and they like that. Well, those things do cost mm-hmm. and so we have to balance the priorities with our resources, but we need to hear from people. That's number one. Number two is be realistic in expectations as well. I often hear people say things like, well, government needs to be run like a business. Sometimes I joke with people that I know well enough, I'll take that challenge because the cost of a Big Mac today is significantly more than it was 10 years ago. The size of the Big Mac is smaller. Mm-hmm. The service, I don't know if it's gotten any better. I'm just using this as an example. The quality seems to be exactly the same. So if, if I want to operate like that business, then I'm going to be able to charge more for less. Is that what we really want to do? Or do we want government to run like a government efficiently, effectively, and doing the best we can to manage things properly. And by the way, I'm sitting here thinking, I like Big Macs and I like McDonald's, so that's not a knock on any of that. But the point simply is, if we're going to have a standard, don't have this expectation that we're going to run government like a business, but then turn around and let businesses run in a way that you routinely go and pay more Mm -hmm. for what you're buying. Mm -hmm. That just happens all the time. So I don't really think people expect us to run government like a business if they're really thinking it through. What they want us to do is run government as efficiently and effectively as we possibly can. And that's a reasonable expectation, and that's one I think we should all try to meet. So I hope that they'll expect that properly. And then third, and and this is where I want to be respectful of our friends who serve in the state legislature and, and in Frankfurt, but we need help getting more and more message to Frankfurt about what's happening at the local level. Mm-hmm. That when issues like the pension are basically just passed on to us, mm-hmm. which may not be how some see it, it's how I see it, many mayors like me see it, that the pension issue has really just been pushed down on us, that they're not dealing with it in Frankfurt, really, mm-hmm. that the expense of it is just coming to local governments. And that's the way it looks to us, at least. If they're going to do that to us, then we need local citizens to speak up more, to ask and advocate for more options for revenue for local governments. Mm-hmm. Because in essence, the state has tied local government's hands on revenue options, and now they're pushing down the burden of some of these big issues like the pension to us. Mm -hmm. We can't have it both ways. If you're going to expect us to pay for it, please give us the tools to be able to do so. And we need local citizens to speak up and ask our General Assembly for more revenue options. And then we'll have to decide how to use them and if to use them. Um, but at least give us access to the tools. So that's a third way local citizens could help us. Speak to our representatives, speak to our state senators, Whitney Westerfield, Walker Thomas, Myron Dawson, um, Lynn Beckler. Mm-hmm. Speak to the governor's office. 
um, speak to other members of the General Assembly, even if they don't represent us, because there are other cities in positions just like us throughout the Commonwealth, and let them know. We want tax modernization that is real. We want tax reform that is real. And we want it not only to benefit individual citizens, but we want it to also benefit local governments so that we can take care of the real issues that are before us every single day. Mm -hmm. You've heard me say it, and I'll say it again. At this level, the reason I enjoy serving at this level is because we can focus on real solutions. We can get very pragmatic and practical. It's not about all of this other garbage that happens at the state and federal mm -hmm. level where it gets partisan all the time. Yeah. But we need resources to be able to take care of the practical issues like a pothole, like public safety, like good parks and recreation. And so that's a third message. I'm, I'm really asking the citizens to help just speak to our General Assembly, speak to our state representatives, and encourage them to be willing to allow local government more options for revenue. Still options we'll have to approve at the local level that taxpayers will have a voice in, but at least give us those tools. Awesome. Well, thank you so well, much thank for you. your time. I hope people um, walk away from this a little more educated about what's coming in the future. Hawkinsville is produced and edited by John Russellberg. This week's host was Zirconi Eileen. Follow the Kentucky New Era on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm -hmm.